The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. You know what? We've been talking about the tragedy that has unfolded in Canada's long term care homes on this show for months now, and I'm afraid it's going to get worse. Canada's chief public health officer is warning that COVID 19 cases are on the rise among elderly adults across the country. More and more outbreaks are occurring in long term care homes, congregate living settings, and hospitals. And we're seeing that. We're certainly seeing that right here in Edmonton. According to Alberta Health, There are 102 active outbreaks at continuing care facilities in the province and 375 active cases. A total of 2,702 cases have been confirmed at continuing care facilities in the province and 296 residents have died since the start of the pandemic. In the last two days alone, 16 of the province's 25 deaths have been connected to care homes. Nationally, over 80% of all COVID deaths in Canada occurred in nursing and retirement home settings. There are continued calls to action to protect our vulnerable and make senior care a priority. Is it falling on deaf ears? Tomorrow in Ottawa, thousands of empty shoes will be laid out on the lawn of Parliament Hill to honour those lives lost in long-term care homes. The event is called Broken Hearts, Empty Shoes, and our next guest will be there. Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos is an Associate Professor with Criminology and Justice Faculty of Social Science and Humanities at Ontario Tech University. Vivian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, You know, what has been said, the measure of a society is how it protects its most vulnerable. How would you say Canada is doing? Oh, there's no question about it. We have failed our seniors in care. We have failed. I mean, above and beyond. I mean, we're the international embarrassment for this pandemic vis-a-vis our seniors in long-term care. Uh, You had quoted the the fact that, you know, just over 80% of of Canada's known COVID-19 deaths have been residents in long-term care. And that's that's the highest of all the OECD countries. Right. And, and, you know, resident status in in and of itself is not some foregone conclusion for mortality. And we clearly have dropped the ball, especially. And I always like to think when I compare us to the U.S., if they're doing something better than we are. I mean, that's that's a big problem for us. Dr. Stamtopoulos, and what is the problem? Why why has Canada failed so badly at this? I mean, I've had numerous conversations over the past number of months, you know, it's and I've been told it's everything because people don't really care to the way that uh, the facilities are set up. What is it in your mind? Well, I think the biggest problem when, when we go back is that long-term care was left out of the Canada Health Act. Because, you know, back when the Canada Health Act was, was really uh, solidified, most people died in their households. They aged at home. Mm. Um, we had people, we had lots of, uh, you know, stay-at-home female workforce that, that didn't work in the paid labor market, that worked at home, that often took care of our elderly. Things have changed. The dynamics have changed. People are working. They can't provide that 24-7 care that a lot of people require when they get into their older years and, you know, things like mobility and comorbidity become a problem. So the problem is that unlike hospitals, um, we have privatized out a lot of our long-term care. And a lot of these companies are private 
for-profit entities, and we have seen time and time again over the course of this pandemic that these are the organizations, these, these entities that are failing our seniors the worst. Okay, so is, I mean, I you know, we know that there's a lot of workers in these long-term care facilities that have been busting their butts over the past eight or nine months doing the best they yeah. can with what they have. So I don't want to drag them completely under the bus. Is it that they're not getting the support? You know, who do we turn to? Who do we point the fingers at? Is it the owners of these private care homes? Is it the provincial governments? Is it the federal governments? All of them? You know, it's an... Yeah, it's it's kind of all of the above. But when so when I look at the case of Ontario, where I'm from, and the mess that's happening here, so when there's a reticence for our government to interfere with the business because we have the largest share of for-profit long-term care homes across Canada, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, you can't just you know like snap your fingers and provide this you know drastic change like Quebec did, for example, or like BC was able to do. Um, so they, the, the fault lies at both lines. Certainly the, the for-profit providers that have over time paid these workers less and less. And, and there's been a de-skilling of labor in these facilities, which has led to a lot of the problems we have. When you look at the reports, like the military report mm-hmm. that found what went wrong, a lot of these issues were just, you know, basic mistakes that were evident because these workers were not trained properly. There was, there's just not enough training. They weren't given the expertise required to handle any some sort of situation like this and that the homes, even though they knew this were coming, they were warned well before the pandemic hit. You know, there were calls in early January to start preparing, training and safeguarding this sector and they just didn't. So, you know, first and foremost, when it comes to the for-profit sector, they are to blame. There's a lot of gross negligence at play here, but then the government could have stepped in and done more. The only government that actually did something that in my opinion was, was, the most helpful was BC, right? What they did was they took over all of the homes. They effectively nationalized all 680 plus long-term care homes for the first six months. And they did that right, right away after the mm. first outbreak. And key things they did were able to minimize, significantly minimize the mortality observed there. So they were able to insulate and protect their seniors in long-term care far better than, for example, us in Ontario and Quebec. Doctor, you know, I was reading today that there's going to be uh, a new study that's going to look into the long-term care homes, how they can be redesigned to better protect residents from future disease and include lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic. That was lifted right from the news article that I was that I was reading. Um, what do you expect, number one, that to show? And then number two, I mean, that doesn't help us one iota with the situation no. <laughs> that we're in right now. No, it doesn't. And unfortunately, a lot of the things that we're seeing, um, you know, promises made by certain governments will take, you know, it, it take effect four to five years from now. And that is that is un- entirely unacceptable. You tell that to the families right now that are and I talk to these families almost daily and they are terrified for the ones that, that managed to have their loved ones survive that first mm-hmm. wave. They are so scared of what's going to happen every single day. They know that effectively these residents are sitting ducks in many of these facilities because over the summer months, a lot of our, you know, jurisdictions didn't do what was necessary to safeguard them. And we knew what they needed to do, right? So these large warehouses, these long-term care warehouses that house hundreds of residents, that's not smart (laughs) from an IPAC perspective, right? So I know that that these studies are going to show we need smaller housing units, and there's places in the Nordic countries that do this very well, Mm -hmm. right? We can learn from the Netherlands where they house like six to eight people in like a house, a small house where they have private rooms with private bathrooms, 
and they share like a common space and a kitchen and they all have access to an outdoor space. This kind of living is what we need to do. It's safer. It's actually cheaper when you look at the numbers. But right now we see investments in, in these future warehouses, like these three, 400 bed facilities, which are exactly what we shouldn't be doing. <laughs> what, what should we be doing right now? Right now. Well, we need to have IPAC, you know, uh, let's say managers at each home that are supervising what's going on because, you know, this quote-unquote in Ontario, you hear them say it, the iron ring of secrecy, right? Sorry, the, the iron ring of protection when really what I've said is that it's an iron ring of secrecy. So by, by essentially locking down these facilities and like we saw in the first wave, effectively confining these seniors in, in pandemic prisons did nothing to protect them, Right. So we need to make sure that we have people in there. We have people observing and overseeing what's going on. We need inspectors in there. We need a dedicated, you know, IPAC lead, so to speak. We need it to immediately increase the staffing because across the board, I- I've been hard pressed to find one home that says, yeah, we have enough staff. We're good to go. And because we know that the second a- uh, an outbreak hits the home, Staffing collapses because yeah. many of the staff have mm-hmm. to go home and isolate. So you have to have a reserve. So you should be preparing. And they should have spent, provinces should have spent the, the, the previous months over the summer preparing a reserve army, so to speak, to step in. They should have connections with their local hospitals because quick intervention, the second a home enters outbreak, is crucial to reducing mortality. So the problem is we see a lot of these homes that get to the point of 100 people infected, and it's like, what is going on here? Because you should have notified, you know, a ho- the neighboring hospital had a partnership ready to go so that if that outbreak hit, they come in right away and provide assistance. And in the times that that has happened, it has made a significant difference to helping the residents in those homes. You are, you are, you're angry. I am angry because you know what? I talk to these people. I talk to these families. I hear the pain in their voices. And I think it's really easy for politicians to to make decisions that tend to benefit the industry without actually hearing what's going on and actually spending time in these facilities. I mean, the other day, I I was on a radio show and it was convenient that right before me, our Minister of Long-Term Care was being interviewed. And the the, the interviewer asked her, when was the last time you were in a long-term care home? was last time you visited one and she could not answer the question Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because she doesn't go to them Mm -hmm. and anybody who has experience in these homes knows what we need to do to fix them right now and in five years and in 10 years dr vivian stamatopoulos joining me this afternoon doctor i've i've been hearing and i've been fired up on this show and you know i have I have been near tears talking about uh, what is going on. And, and, you know, after that military report, absolutely devastating. It was just disgusting and heartbreaking. And people saying, well, we should just send the military in again. We shouldn't have to send the military in again. That's the thing, in in my opinion. We shouldn't have to send the military in again. We should have procedures and best practices in in place. And it it should have been done a long time ago. But moving forward, as as we have a growing population... I'll, I'll tell you something, and you've heard it yourself, and I know that you're as PO'd about it as <laughs> I am because I get it on my text line all the time about, well, you know what? They're over 80. They're over 90. They've lived a good, long life. Let's just let them go, and uh, the rest of us get back on with our life, and it infuriate, infuriates me. It just ticks me right off when I hear that, but I'm also hearing that from politicians, and that doesn't do us any good. 
No, it's, it's despicable ageism at its finest. And we have seen this so terribly over this course of this pandemic. People, uh, you know, either they, they're just too... Someone, people either call this the identifiable lives um, a bias, that we only think about people like us. And we, if we don't, you know, seniors are often insulated. They're often, you know, hidden from the communities mm-hmm. because we're not very senior friendly in our community. So it's just easy not to think about them or it's too sad to think about them. And you hear people saying, well, you know, yeah, they're not going to live that long. It infuriates me too. It is disgusting. And if that was your loved one, you would never be saying something like that. So I have zero patience for people who use, and especially people in office who use that kind of rhetoric Mm -hmm. should be ashamed of themselves. Absolutely. No. And and you know what you had mentioned about the military? I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the families that is going to be at this event tomorrow, because I really think that, you know, what we need is one of the biggest things we can do right now is really push for national standards. And there's no question about it. And one of the families from that military report is going to be at this event tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Because this is the point. You know, we have a very good opportunity right now to actually do something federally. We had our prime minister mention in the throne speech that that is a possibility, in addition to criminal charges, which I am also very comfortable with, because I really think these homes, these bad actors, quote unquote, need to be held accountable. And that's a whole other issue. Um, But what we really want to do with this event tomorrow is, is pay respect to the thousands of seniors that have died often alone, which I can't even wrap my head around how terrible that is. And the families are still traumatized by the the knowledge that their loved one died alone. Can you imagine how upsetting that is if you actually put yourself in the position of these families? It's enough to bring you to tears. Um, But also to push for national standards, because right now we know that the, the federal government has a lot of power in terms of you know, providing the Canada health transfers out to the provinces. What they can do and what they should do right now. And there was some dialogue a little bit ago about meeting with the different premiers. And then uh, the dialogue stopped, so I'm not sure what happened. But we need that picked up again, and we need to keep putting the heat on our premiers to meet with our prime minister and actually come up with an arrangement Uh where you will get money because of course there's going to have to be an investment from both sides it can't just be the federal government funding this in entirety it can't just be the province but this is the opportunity and both seem willing for the most part at least publicly so now we need to actually see them get together and put clear standards in place Doctor, here's the thing. I mean, moving forward, if we if we don't do this, pandemic or not, with our aging population and the number of people that we have waiting to try to get into facilities, to get into a nursing home, to get into some sort of thing, it's just going to keep getting worse. I mean, there's there's so many levels to this. So yeah, there's a pandemic, but there's also the, the, the fact that there are there's this aging population that doesn't. Just some of them may want to stay at home longer. Others, you know, want to are going to move into these facilities. But these wait lists are so bloody long. And as long as this pandemic continues and people get, you know, and and, and those waiting lists get put on hold, things get spread out. We're not putting four people to a room anymore. We're only putting one more one person to a room. This is going to drag out and drag out. It's going to make these wait lists even longer. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is what, what else has been missing from the Canada Health Act is home care. 
So yes. both home care and long-term care. And the reason why so many people need long-term care, people don't want to go into long-term care. Nobody is excited at the decision to have to put their loved one in long-term care. I've been through this process myself. I lost a loved one in long-term care, which is also why I sound heated, because I understand how these families feel. Um, but the, the point is, because we have so many gaps in home care as well, even if you want to stay home, you can't. Yeah. Home care is a joke in most provinces, and we are learning it's becoming increasingly privatized, so we're going to have the same dangers that we have in the for-profit long-term care sector because the second you privatize something and you make it for profit, it, regardless, the conditions of work go down, and when workers are understaffed and they're burnt out, the conditions of care suffer. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. Before I let you go, I just, again, want to touch on the event tomorrow happening on, on Parliament Hill. You, you touched on it a little bit, talking about one of the families from that military report going to be there. What can we expect? What are, what are we going to hear tomorrow, Vivian? Well, you're going to have a lot of people who have lived experience that not only have been through this, but are representing the victims. We have uh, Melissa Miller, who is a lawyer and representing hundreds of victims of, of you know both pre-pandemic and pandemic long-term care abuse and negligence and you'll have you know a, a variety of people including Jagmeet Singh and, and representatives from the Ontario Health Coalition and the Ottawa Health Coalition that will really be talking about the importance of national standards and changing the system and they're also going to be um, laying out thousands of empty shoes across the lawn of Parliament Hill to honor all of those laws. And people that, you know, if you want to send, we've, we've been telling people if you want to take a selfie or just take a photo of a pair of empty shoes outside your door and tweet that or post that to Facebook or post that to Instagram and just really show your support. And, um, and you can live stream the event tomorrow. That's the point. Obviously, people can't attend for, you know, yeah. uh, safety reasons, but we will be live streaming it on Facebook and Instagram. And, and I have those uh, links on my Twitter. Well, if anyone follows Twitter, uh, on Twitter, you can find me there, and the, the link will be there. I will keep tweet bombing the links so people can watch because I think it's going to be really moving, and I hope you know more people can tune in and, and just really see how devastating this has been. You know what? I, I appreciate your voice, and I appreciate your strong boy, voice because we're going to need more strong voices to make sure that there is change in this country in the days, the weeks, the months, the years ahead, and it has to be made. We have to see yeah. something. After talking about it for years and years and years, yeah. blah, 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 it's got to get done. And um, we'll keep fighting for it. Dr. Stamatopoulos, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you. Dr. Vivian Stamatopoulos uh, checking in this afternoon.